Good morning. My name is Dave. I'm one of the pastors here at Crosspoint. It's great to be with you this morning. Uh, I want to start out today by sharing a riddle with you. And for those of you who've heard it before, please refrain from shouting out the answer because I like suspense a little bit. So this is how the riddle goes. This thing, all things devours. Birds, beasts, trees, flowers. Gnaws iron, bites steel, grinds hard stones to meal. Slays king, ruins town, and beats high mountain down. This riddle comes from J.R.R. Tolkien's great book, The Hobbit. It was a riddle given by the creature Gollum to Bilbo Baggins. And the answer to the riddle is, anyone know? Nobody knows, huh? Time. Time is the answer. Time devours all things. Nobody can slow it down. Nobody can stop it. Time makes no exceptions and plays no favorites. Every person and everything is overtaken by time. Everything. I hear people say, if only there was more time in a day. Have you ever heard someone say that? I'll bet you have. If only there was more time in a day. I have too much to do. I have not enough time to do it. What time is it anyway? I have to be somewhere. We have digital calendars and watches and smartphones and tablets and we can sync all of those devices together so that we can kind of neatly organize our lives and manage our time. But what all those devices have in common is they all remind us of a very sobering reality, which is our time is running out and there's nothing you can do to stop it. In Job chapter 9 verse 25, Job says, My days are swifter than a runner. They flee away. They see no good. Again, in Job 14, he says, Man who is born of a woman is few of days and full of trouble. He comes out like a flower and withers. He flees like a shadow and continues not. You're probably not going to find those verses on a Hallmark card or on a calendar with a beautiful landscape in the background. I know some of you ladies have... I really, and I appreciate this, you have uh, in your homes, you have Bible verses on some kind of decorative wooden thing on your walls and stuff like that. You're not going to find these verses on, the, on your wall, on anyone's wall. You'll never see this verse on anyone's wall, I promise you. Why is that? Because these verses are sort of depressing. It's, it's kind of a depressing reality, isn't it, to think about? That our time is running out, it's so short, and there's nothing we can do to change that. We don't want to be reminded of that. But today we're going to read a psalm about time. Because we need to. We need to be reminded that our time is short. We, we need to be reminded that our time here on earth is, is fleeting away like a runner. And there's nothing we can do to stop it or slow it down. Because... If we don't think about that, and if we don't take that to heart, we won't use our time well. We won't live our lives to the fullest. We just won't. We need to be reminded of this. One of the things I love about the psalm we're going to look at today, it is the, it is the only psalm written by Moses, the man of God. Out of 150 psalms, Moses wrote one of them. And it's a really old psalm, and that's the one we're going to look at this morning. It's Psalm chapter 90. If you have your Bible, you can start to turn there. We're going to be in Psalm chapter 90. Uh, most of the, most of the morning, and it, what's interesting about Moses is I think that if anyone was an expert on time, it was him. Moses lived a hundred and twenty years 
He lived a very long and full life. The first part of his life, he lived with great privilege. You know, we hear in our uh, culture today, we hear about white privilege. It's something that's uh, very real in our society. But Moses had Egyptian privilege. The, in the Egyptian uh, nation and culture, if you were uh, an Egyptian, you had privileges that uh, the rest of the world didn't really have. He was, he was uh, brought in by a, an Egyptian princess, and he was, was uh, raised in that, in that sort of royal household, and he had everything he needed. He had wealth, he had status, he had access. He, um, he learned, he, he was educated by the Egyptians. He had all of the best education, all of the best stuff. He had it. But when he grew up, he began to realize he was not an Egyptian, but he was a Hebrew. He was a Hebrew, and he began to empathize with his own people, the Israelites, as he grew older. And one day, he was out, outside, he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, and he was f- fueled with anger, and he killed the Egyptian. And this was in his probably late teens or early 20s that this happened. And he was forced to flee Egypt after that. And after he left Egypt, the next 40 years of his life, which we would probably think of as the best years of his life, between the ages of around 20 to around 60, those 40 years, he lived in obscurity and exile, out in the middle of nowhere, with basically no purpose in his life. I mean, he had he got married and he had a family, but for 40 years, he lived a common sort of aimless life. He was in the wilderness. He lived as a shepherd. He was away from the crowds, away from his people, away from any kind of special calling, away from purpose. He didn't know what he was supposed to do. He just was kind of spinning his wheels for 40 years. He did nothing of significance, nothing of importance as far as he was concerned or as far as God was concerned. But of course then what happened is his life changed. When he encountered God at the burning bush. Remember that story? God spoke to Moses through a burning bush. It changed everything for him. The next phase of his life, he had tons of purpose. He lived with urgency. He went back to Egypt. He led his people out of bondage. And then the last 40 years of his life, he spent wandering and waiting. Just wandering and waiting. That's probably when he writes this psalm. And he died having never entered the promised land. So anyone knows about time and perspective? It's Moses. Think about this. The first 60 years, about the first 60 years of Moses' life are covered in one chapter of the Bible, Exodus chapter 2. The last 60 years of his life take over 100 chapters of the Old Testament to cover. And guess who wrote all of that? Moses did. (laughs) It's almost like Moses was writing a kind of autobiography And he spends two paragraphs covering the first 60 years of his life. Isn't that crazy? Because for him, the most significant years were his older years, his last years. Now, that's not true of everyone in the Bible. It's certainly not true of everyone in life, but it was true of Moses. And in this psalm, this one psalm that he wrote, he writes about time. He writes about time. And the big idea this morning, the thing that I really hope we remember from today is this. When God becomes the context for your life, you learn how to make the most of your time. When God becomes the context of your life, you learn how to make the best use of your time. And so we're going we're gonna to begin to walk through Psalm chapter 90, 
beginning in verse 1. We're just going to look at a couple verses at a time as we go through it. So please follow along with me. Psalm 90, a prayer of Moses, the man of God. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. From everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Now the first couple verses are about context. That's what this is about. It's about context. The context for your life is this. Everlasting to everlasting, you are God. That's the context for your life. That's the bookends of your life. The context of your life for your life is not your birth and your death. Isn't that how we normally think about the context for our life? It's, my life is from when I'm born to when I die. That's, that's what matters. But that is not what Moses is saying here. That's not the context for your life. The context for your life is everlasting to everlasting. You are God. Now, if the context of your life were simply between, you know, the time spent between your birth and your death, then all that matters is what you can accomplish between your birth and your death. And that's sort of how we're conditioned to live in this world. If your life is about everything that happens between your birth and your death, then you'd better live a meaningful life and an influential life and a comfortable life and a successful life. You'd better leave a legacy that your children can be proud of. You better, you better do something that matters, that, that makes an impact. You better make a difference in this world. Isn't that how we are, are told to think about our lives? And of course, we all want to live a life that matters. I mean, we, we, of course, we want our kids to think highly of us. We want history to speak well of us. We want to be remembered for something. But here's the catch. Anyone who has ever lived a life that was all about them and all about the time between their birth and their death and everything they could accomplish between that time, anyone who's lived that way has actually wasted their time. They've wasted their life. That's what the Bible teaches us. Isn't that sort of the point of the whole book of Ecclesiastes? You know, the King Solomon, he wrote the book of Ecclesiastes. His conclusion about life is, it's all meaningless. It's all vanity. No one is remembered. No one does anything great enough to be remembered for very long. If your life is all about you and what you can accomplish, and if the context of your life is just your birth and your death, your life won't matter. That's what he's saying. And here's why. Here's why. Look at verse 3. You return man to dust and say, Return, O children of man, for a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood. He's talking about you sweep people away as with a flood. They're like a dream. They're like uh, grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed in the evening, it fades and withers. So, so as far as God is concerned, the period of time between our birth and our death is, is really like a few minutes or a few seconds to him. I mean, a thousand years to God or like a day or even a watch in the night. A watch in the night was, is like a security phrase where um, some of these ancient cities would have a, a giant, a great wall around their city to protect them from foreigners and from other nations who may go to war, or, and they would have, they would place a guard or watchman on the wall throughout the night to make sure there wasn't a surprise attack, and if there was, they could alert the rest of the city. 
And so a watch in the night was like three hours. That was generally a, a watch in the night. And Moses is telling us that to God, a thousand years are like a watch in the night, like three hours. Now think about your life. Let's say you live 75 years. What is that to God? <laughs> what is that? Listen to James 4.14. James, the writer of one of the New Testament letters, he says, Yet you don't know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. You're some mist. This makes me think about my life and how quickly it's passed. You know, because you know that, I mean, you know, the older you get, the faster time goes, right? That's just how it feels, isn't it? I mean, some, eventually, I don't know if I've gotten to this point yet, but eventually you get to the point where you stop thinking about all the time you have left and you start thinking about how, how fast your life is going and how little life you have left and all the things you better get done before it's done. You know what I mean? It probably happens somewhere around my age. I'm just kind of waiting for that day. I mean, 42 years I've lived on this earth. And I look back, I look at my kids, and I can't believe it how fast time has gone. It just amazes me. And people used to tell me that when I was in my early 30s, and I was was so sick of hearing it. I'm like, come on, time just goes at the same pace. That's not really true. But now I believe it. And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. You know, I... (laughs) I was born, I went to elementary school, I went to middle school, then I went to high school, then I went to college. I got married, I began a career, began a career a couple different times. We had kids, our kids will eventually leave our home and follow a similar path. My wife and I will grow old, I might eventually retire, maybe not. We, we may do some traveling, spend time with our grandkids, Lord willing, then we will die. Is there anything original about that story? Not really, except that I probably won't do any golfing. Amen to that, brother. So the question is, really, what's the, the question is, what's the point? What's the point? If my story isn't original, your story isn't all that original, what is the point of our time here on earth if it goes by that fast? What's the point of our story? And Moses is making a profound and really emphatic statement. And what he's saying to us, this is so important. He's saying that you are not the point. God is the point for everything you do. God is the context for everything you do. He is the context for your life and your story. From everlasting to everlasting, it's all about God. It's not about us. It's not about what we can do. It's not about what we can accomplish. It's about Him. And when God becomes the bookends for your life and the context for everything you do and experience, no matter if it's good times or troubled times, you'll experience both. But when God is your context, you will gain a heart of wisdom. You'll be able to make the most of your time and the most of your short fleeting life and fly away with no regrets. That's what he's saying. That's what I want. Listen, he goes on. Verse 7. For we are brought to an end by your anger, God. By your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you and our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70 or even by reason of strength 80. 
Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? Let's let's think about that for a minute. For an ancient Israelite who was hearing this psalm read, they may have thought about the generations that, that went before them. And, you know, most of the Israelites who, who lived with Moses and when Moses was leading them, they were delivered from slavery, some, from slavery in Egypt. They saw things that nobody, I mean, think about the things that some of these Israelites saw. Things that God did, the parting of the Red Sea, the cloud, the cloud by day and the fire by night, the, the raining down of manna. I mean, the miracles that they saw, the things they witnessed. But the sad truth is that most of them never made it to the promised land because they were unfaithful despite everything they saw. They forgot. They forgot what God had done. They forgot the mighty things he did to rescue them. They complained. They sinned. They traded the presence of God for temporary pleasures. Some of them sinned out in the open. Some of them sinned in secret and kept their sins close to them and wouldn't, and they hid. But in either case, they aroused God's anger and wrath and the whole people, the whole of Israel suffered because of their sin. Moses himself never entered the promised land because of his sin. And here he's looking back over his life and his experience with God and the people of God. And he sort of sums up his life with these sobering words. He says, the years of our life are 70 or even by reason of strength 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. I mean, some of the greatest people in the Bible were pessimistic at times, weren't they? They're just, maybe a better word is they're realists. He's just being realistic. This is just the way life is, you know? Moses is one of the most influential, well-known, most powerful people who ever walked the face of the earth. He looks back over his life and he sighs. He's like, I mean, that's how he sees his life. This great man of God. And he says, who considers the power of your anger and your wrath? You know what the answer is? No one. No one. No one understands the power of God's anger and wrath. Especially today, let me tell you. We are so quick to, to just, you know, just move past God's anger and wrath and just how furious it is towards sin. We, that makes us so uncomfortable. And when we get uncomfortable, we just kind of suppress stuff like that. We find ways around it. We downplay it. We candy coat it. We replace God's wrath with other more comfortable concepts in our vocabulary. But the truth is that God's wrath towards sin and sinners is very real. And it is the reason we're all going to return to dust. That's the reason. That's the reason our life is full of trouble. It's because of God's anger towards sin and it's righteous. It's right for him to be angry towards sin. Just, it comes from his love for us. That's where it comes from. And no one on this earth truly understands the power of God's anger. Nobody does. And what Moses is saying, I think, is, is that if we could just see who God really is and how big he is and how internal and powerful and holy he is and how he really feels about sin, we would use our time differently. 
We would live our lives differently. We would relate to God differently. We would actually care what God says and what he does, and it would change our lives forever. It would change our perspective and the way we spend our time. If we really considered God's anger, we would. It would change us. And then he, and that brings us to the key verse in the whole psalm, verse 12. This is the most important verse in this psalm, I think. This is the, this is the conclusion. He says this. So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Teach us to number our days. To number our days means that today is the most important day of your life. Okay, that's what it means. We're not made to carry the weight of the past or, or the weight and worry of what the future might hold. Remember what Jesus said? He said it once, don't be anxious about your life. Don't be anxious about your life. What you're going to do tomorrow, what you're going to wear, what you're going to eat, where you're going to go, don't even worry about that. Because today is what matters. Worry and anxiety and fear, those things come from thinking too much about tomorrow. We're made to live in the present. Whatever decision God has put in front of you is for today. You may never get it back. That's why the writer of Hebrews said, in Hebrews chapter 3, he said, Today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Today. There's a reference there that comes from God's word to the people of Israel during their 40 years in the wilderness. When Moses was with them. Moses certainly remembered that part of his life. And he remembered God saying that to them. And when God provided food for them, when God provided food for them in the wilderness, this is what God said in Exodus chapter 16. He said, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day. A day's portion every day. They weren't supposed to gather any more than that or any less. And that principle of a day's portion every day, I think, is for us, too, We are to concern ourselves with today's portion. What are you doing with today? What are you doing? You'll never get today back. What decision do you need to make today? What risk do you need to take today? Tomorrow is never promised to you or me. Today is what matters. Today is a gift. So don't let tomorrow rob you of today. That's what he's saying. Today is urgent. I remember one, many years ago, my dad, for his birthday, got a Corvette for one day. For one day, (laughs) he had a Corvette. My dad would never buy a Corvette. Not for lack of desire, but for too much discipline. He would not buy a Corvette. But he got one for one day. You know what he did with it? He didn't wash it. He didn't park it in his driveway and stare at it. He didn't stand around talking about it. He got in it. And he drove it all day hard. <laughs> That's what he did. Because he knew that that was that day's portion. And I think Moses is telling us that our lives are kind of like that. He's basically saying, stop pretending that your life will go on indefinitely. And that you will have time to do everything you want to. And to repair this relationship and that relationship. Or to do, you know, to do that thing God asked you to do. Stop pretending you have time to turn things around and get right with God. Stop pretending like you have time to make up for all your bad years. You don't. Your life is running away. You can't stop it. Now is the time. To follow hard after God. Now. Today. Don't wait. That's what today is for. 
Now, you should know by now, as we've been going through these psalms, you should know what this psalm is really about. You should know who this psalm is about. It's about Jesus. We know that Jesus' name is not in here, but we know that the whole Old Testament points to Jesus. That's what it's all about. All the scriptures are about him. He's the point. So what is, where's Jesus in this psalm? Well, here's what, I, here's what I think we learned from Jesus. Jesus teaches us more than anyone how to live in the present. How to live for today. That's how he lived. He had perspective. He knew his life was short. He died at 33 in the prime of his life. He knew he was going to die. He knew, he, he knew who he was, too. He knew, he knew who he was. He knew he was God's Messiah. He knew he was going to die for the sin of the world. He knew that all of history would hinge on his death and resurrection. And yet he didn't live as though he was the center of the universe. Isn't that amazing? He was the center of the universe and the, and the climax of all history. Yet he didn't live that way. He made his life about caring for others. He made his life about other people. In Mark 10, verse 45, this is one of my favorite verses. This is Jesus sort of giving us just a piece of his vision, his vision for life, his mission statement, you might, you might say. He said to his disciples, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's how Jesus lived. That's how Jesus used his time. I remember the time that well, I don't remember the time because I wasn't there, but I remember in the Gospels it talks about uh, Jesus feeding the 5,000. And a couple different Gospel accounts were told about Jesus feeding the 5,000. Something we kind of glaze over, though, is that Jesus had a, a super busy, exhausting day when that happened. He and his disciples, all the, all the night before and the morning leading up to that, had been ministering to people's needs, feeding, or, um, healing them, he was teaching them. He was, he was casting out demons. People were coming in and out. So, they were so busy, they didn't even have time to eat the whole morning, the whole day. And then, and then Jesus sees this crowd of people. I mean, sometimes, I was at Six Flags the other day. And at the end of the day, I just didn't want to be around people anymore. It was so busy there. You know how that goes sometimes? It just, okay, enough with the crowds. Well, Jesus, he comes up to this crowd and they're hungry. And he tells his disciples, you guys go get some rest. Because they had been with them this whole time. And so they did. They left in a boat. They went across the lake. And the people ran ahead of them and, and beat them to the other side. And Jesus sees the crowd and he has compassion on them. He hadn't eaten. He hadn't slept. He's got to be exhausted. I mean, serving people can be exhausting. Meeting people's needs. Showing empathy. You know what empathy is, right? It's putting yourself in their shoes. I mean, he's taking all their burdens on himself. That's the way he lived. And he sees them and he has compassion on them. And they bring a boy to him and he has, you know, the loaves and the fish. And Jesus spends the whole day with them teaching and feeding these people. That's just who he was. That's how he lived his life. That's what we're supposed to be doing. That's the kind of life Jesus is calling us to. A life of compassion, a life of serving, a life where others, you think about others as being more important than yourself. You think, you look at other people's needs and you forget about your needs. You forget how tired you are, how hungry you are, and you just serve. And that, according to Jesus' life, is the best way to use your time. 
caring for others. Last weekend, I was with a couple um, of high school friends. They weren't high school friends. They're friends I graduated from high school with. And we've stayed connected over the years. And um, probably once a month, we get together in my one friend's driveway, and we just hang out and talk. And, you know, it's fun. We, you know, we, ca- we get to catch up and everything. And um, I don't like to, I don't talk a lot about God with them because I think if I did, they probably wouldn't invite me back. <laughs> Because they know who I am. They know I'm a pastor and everything. And I don't, but I do, you know, I do talk about God because he's my life. You know what I mean? But I'm just careful. I don't push it on them kind of thing. And all of a sudden last week, and I've been praying for them and thinking about how can I, how can I re- get real with this, you know, and really just confront them with the truth. Because I don't think, I don't think they know God. I don't know. Maybe they do. They think they do. I know that they think they do. You know what I mean? Like, do you have friends like that? They think they know God. Oh, yeah, I know that. I believe that. But then you look at their life and you're like, I don't think you do. I don't think you get it yet. But all of a sudden, my one friend, he's been a good friend of mine for 25 years. He starts asking me about God. He just started asking me about it. He starts asking me about heaven and hell. And it, <laughs> it became clear to me that he was a little bit concerned about his future. And he was asking me, well, who, who goes to hell and who goes to heaven and who decides that? And what about purgatory and what about this and that? And we talked for about an hour. And I shared the gospel with them. I mean, I've shared the gospel a few times. I shared about Jesus and what he did on the cross and why that matters. Like five times in the conversation, five different ways, five different, you know, illustrations or pictures. Just to make sure, you know, that it was clear. And by the sort of the end of the conversation... My one friend is like, okay, all right, I think I'm good then. And I'm thinking, I'm thinking to myself, I don't, I, don't think, I don't think you are. Maybe I didn't say it right, you know? I don't know, maybe he is. I'm not the judge. I'm just the messenger, you know? But what I said was, I, what I said was, of course, because he's, my friend, I, it was clear, he's got things in his past he's worried about. He's worried about the future. And if I could speak, Speak to him today. If he was here today, I would say, wouldn't you rather leave the past behind and live at peace with God today? Now? Why worry about the future? I mean, you don't know what tomorrow holds. Living for today is about living and abiding in Jesus. And if Jesus was judged for your sin on the cross, your past and your future have already been paid for. You are free to live for today. To live a life with with no regrets, no fear. No doubt. I mean, you might have a little bit of doubt. That's normal. But Jesus, made, get, Jesus makes us right with God. There's no, there's no wondering how it's going to end up for us. I mean, that's just a waste of your life, isn't it? It's a waste of time to wonder, to fear, to be looking over your shoulder and wondering, you know, when's the other shoe going to drop? When's God going to get back at me for all the things I've done? That's no way to live. Our time is too short to live that way. Jesus allows us to live in the present. And that brings us to the last few verses, which Pastor Scott read this last verse. I'm just going to read the last set of verses here, beginning in verse 13. This is a shout of hope from the man of God. That's what this is. He says, Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning. With your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you've afflicted us. And for as many years as we've seen evil. 
Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Moses, just like us, he wants to live a life that matters. He wants to know that his life counts. He wants to know that his, his work, even as a shepherd, those 40 years where he felt like he had no purpose, he wants to know it matters. He wants to know that every phase of his life matters. Even the years of wandering and waiting, it matters. It has purpose. The truth is we're running out of time. When we are gone, within a couple of generations, nobody will remember us. That's the truth. Our lives will be forgotten. So what matters? God matters. God matters. God is the context for our life. God is able to establish the work of our hands. God is able to take our fleeting, short mist of a life and turn it into something glorious and permanent through the death and resurrection of Jesus. We have the hope of a future where time does not devour where we will last forever in the presence of Jesus. All of our work, all of our relationships, all of our time in Jesus matters. It all matters. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this reminder today. There are so many times we read your word and we get, we get discouraged. We get confronted with the truth and it can be hard. Hard to hear. Sometimes shocking and and even discouraging. But God, I thank you that this psalm and so many others that are written by people who were kind of pessimistic, Lord, they end with hope. They end with hope because of what you've done and what you've said. Even Moses, before the time of Christ, was shouting, God, and and asking you to return in your son, Jesus. And that's what we are looking forward to. That's what we fix our eyes on today. We are waiting for Jesus, our King, to return and to redeem our lives and to make everything new. We thank you for the hope of Jesus. We thank you, God, that through faith in Jesus, our lives will go on forever. And because of what Jesus has done, we can live in the present and have no fear about tomorrow. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Thank you again for being with us this morning. Uh, We want to remind you just uh, one more time. It probably won't be the last time. But we want to remind you about next week, a week from Monday, a week from tomorrow, is uh, National Night Out at the Farmer's Market in West Dallas. Our volunteer slots have been filled, so thank you very much for that. Um, It's going to be a great time for families and people just to come out and eat and play games and uh, meet new people. So that's happening uh, next Monday night. And then the following evening, Tuesday, is going to be our block party at the new location at 110th in Oklahoma. And we are hoping to meet a lot of new people there. And so we'd encourage all of you to be there. It's going to be a lot of fun. Tuesday night from, I think, 5 to 9 is when the event happens. And by the way, we have a whole bunch of flyers, a big stack out in the, on the information table. For those of you, if you want to grab them and just hand them out to friends or neighbors or um, family members, co-workers, whatever, there should be plenty back there for anyone, for all of us to take a little stack. We'd love for you to invite your friends. That's what this is all about. It's about inviting our friends and meeting new people, letting people know what we're all about and that we're coming to a new location this fall. We don't know exactly when yet, but... It'll be this year, we think.
So thank you for being here today. I'm going to leave you this morning with a passage that God has really been laying on my heart recently. It comes from Ephesians chapter 3. So please bow your heads for the benediction. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. You are dismissed.